1: Welcome to the Four Corners podcast. I am Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how
2: are you? Uh, doing good.
1: Doing good.
0: Not enjoying the cold coming in, though.
2: <laughs> oh, it. yeah, we uh, I don't even know if it's fall now. It's it went straight to like 90 degrees and now uh, cold weather. I had
0: I had a fire in the fireplace two nights ago.
2: Yeah, it's
1: it's dropping rather quickly as opposed to progressively but that does mirror the uh the start of summer so anyway we'll get our shout outs right here at the beginning the first one is collar and elbow the wrestling brand collar and elbow barand.com use the promo code for corners podcast that's the number four capital c and corners capital p and podcast <clears> to <throat> save 10 percent off your order our other shout out is um uh, People in eastern Kentucky are still trying to rebuild, and now that the the shiny has worn off of that particular natural disaster, they're trying to rebuild with, with fewer and fewer resources. So if you would like to help, it would be much appreciated, and I'm going to say if you want to support uh, the campaign for it, um, support uh, a T-shirt campaign for it, go through Appalachian Apparel. But if you want to find a place where you can do some charitable giving and want to find places that would be trustworthy to give to, then I'm going to say start with Apple Shop. That's A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot org. And they will be a good place for you to get started on how you can help. Because trust me, folks need all the help they can get
2: with. All of that being said, we'll pass the ball for our last shout-out over to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Colon. Uh, you know, I don't know what Orlando is going to be for Halloween this year. He might be an evil clown. I don't know. If an he evil. is an evil clown, he'll be the scariest evil clown you've ever seen. But I don't Why, know. He, Matt? Might be, he might be someone else. He might be like a, a wrestling golfer. <laughs> We've had a <laughs> few of those. Um, I don't know. He may be like doing a uh, – He might do be doing like a – Perhaps, like he, he actually, maybe he's doing like a booger. costume play of Bastion Booger, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why well, Matt, that sounds like a segue. It is a segue. It is a segue. Um, Brad, what, what in the world are we doing this week? So this is
0: actually kind of a supplement episode to last week's King of the Ring 1993. This week we are doing... Uh, the series of matches that Kurt Henning, Mister Perfect, and Doink the Clown had to qualify for the 1993 King of the Ring tournament, and one bonus match that's from Raw in August, which is Randy Savage vs. Doink the Clown.
1: So um, this is a rather doinky episode, and uh, if if you're if you're someone who with the chlorophobia, the the fear of clowns, then uh, well. It's a podcast, so you're not going to see any visuals, but just be aware that what our subject matter is going to be, and I hope you're all right.
0: And this is all easily available on YouTube, and um, none of them are longer than, like, 10 or 12 minutes, and um, Mm -hmm. I would say they're, they're short enough to watch, whether we say they're great or they're mediocre or bad, so just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah, it's not a hard watch. No. So um
0: so i'm gonna start us off and just say um i like this better than eddie gilbert and terry garvin
2: yes yeah um i did i did like the eddie gilbert stuff we watched the week before yeah um because that was like uh variety and while i didn't think all those matches were like the best but they were interesting at least Mm mm-hmm
0: and I didn't I only I, I thought a couple of the Gilbert vs. Garvin matches were decent, but this this had more of, of what I wanted the Gilbert and Garvin stuff to be where there's this subtle progression between the matches mm-hmm. of what's going on. Like there's this there's this kind of subtle increase in aggression. They have their tactics figured out. Um and you can just tell that they—they're two guys that have wrestled each other a bunch in a short period of time, just based on their aggravation with each other.
1: Well, are you saying that people got aggravated with Doink the Clown?
0: I even Do- even Doink was showing some aggravation by the end, though.
1: <laughs>
0: but but so so. So we so what what this is is so the first one is on superstars the second one is on wrestling challenge, and then the final match is on raw, so we get Vince for two of these, and he's bad he's outright terrible in one I thought he was okay ish in the raw match
1: um, i I will just fully disclose here and now i I hated Vince on commentary and he was. In- in all of this.
0: He like, was such it, a bad match for Lawler too.
2: Yeah. There it's just <clears throat> yeah. He d- there's a lot of Vincisms and he really was busting him out in, like that that first match.
0: And oh, I, God. and and he pissed me off because Lawler got a couple of good good zingers in there and Vince just like didn't give him anything.
2: Uh, he was uh that's one of the Vincisms. It's like Vince is very very good. Uh, not playing his uh, color guys.
0: Yeah, because Kurt Henning like failed at a spot, and like Lawler's like, well, he can't call himself perfect anymore. He's just mediocre. And I was like, hey, that's yeah. a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good one. And um, what I thought is interesting though, because we can we can spoil it since we reviewed it already. Lawler actually foreshadows that he's going to attack the winner of the King of the Ring
1: mm-hmm.
0: during this first match.
1: He's talking a lot of trash in it. And he, I'm the only king that's in this. and, that, and yeah. Why didn't you enter the tournament? I don't need to enter the tournament. I'm already the king. Why would I enter the tournament when I'm already the king? It's like, okay, all right, all right. Yes, yeah,
0: I have to give it to, to Lawler. He did some great, like, there's a lot of good character work mm-hmm. on the side of while talking about the tournament. But, like, there, because, like, when you see the, so to go, go in, like, when Ross is doing it, You know, they're talking about tactics, they're setting up characters and stuff, and, like, the work really speaks better. Because the fascinating thing that you'll notice throughout these matches is almost everything they're doing revolves around the perfect plex. Because Henning Uh is trying to soften up Dwink's leg so he can get the move on. But Doink is going for the arm so that Henning can't actually use the perfect flex. So it's a it's a really interesting bit of psychology where they're both like attacking each other based on a specific move.
2: I guess I also um I guess I never really thought back in the day because when I when Henning was in his prime, um he he was doing the perfect plex in the WWE, but I never really thought about it. And it's like, Oh wow. Like that it, from an actual like logical sense. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Like he's going to attack the leg. So mm-hmm. then when he does the perfect plex and grape finds the leg, that the leg is too weak or injured. the other guy can't kick out. And I like, I never really got that bit of psychology. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, because again, I was like, I was so young watching it. Right. That I didn't really like pick up on that, but it's clever. It, it is a nice touch, and
1: it's all – one of the things that happens sometimes when you're trying to do clever things and having a match is you try and get too clever. You try and get a little too cute with it, and when you do that, it's lost on the crowd because it's too subtle or it's too it's too small. You forget that the the crowd does not have – the benefit of the uh, the zoomed-in camera or something like that. So they're doing something that's a little small, but not too small. A little subtle, but not too subtle. And they're doing a very good job with it. Uh, I like that um, quite a bit.
0: And um, Matt Boren is doing a really good job, like, big expressions when he's doing, like, limb work or even just, like, submission stuff. Mm-hmm. Because that's the fascinating thing I thought on – because Raw is the one that you can, like, get they're, – they're not sweetening the crowd or anything. And, you know, the people were really into the last match
2: mm-hmm.
0: because they yeah. were – because the thing is, like – and we can we can get into the minutiae a bit, but everything they did looked good. They had good chemistry together. It was a very, very good pace to everything. And um, it was very non like WWF at the time. And I'm sure like this was a oddity on TV for the quality you were getting.
1: Mm-hmm. It makes sense.
0: Because Matt Bourne, I think, doesn't get enough credit, but he is really good.
1: I think that Matt Bourne ends up not getting a lot of credit because of well, he, you know, as the colloquialism is, is his personal demons yeah. caused him to, to screw up a bunch of stuff. So it's I, – I have a comment as we get into this. He does not have offense that is super flashy, but he has offense that is – basic's not the right word, but he has offense that is um,
0: – Flexible and to what – and to um... – because what he's good at is he is good at he gets he's good at getting the face down for the shine. Like where I think he was great for Henning as he bumped big for him, mm-hmm. his offense was good. And then you can watch the match and be like, oh well, he, this wasn't a carry job with Henning, like because Doink was going move for move for move with him. Like right, he um his offense is basic but it gets the job done.
1: It's basic, probably is the right term. Basic without being rudimentary or basic without being noticeably basic. You know, there I've, I've griped about some people we've watched in the past having offense that just looks like straight out of wrestling school, I don't know what else to do type moves. His is, is basic, but not bad, and it's well executed the whole way. And the term that I use the other use for it is evergreen. He has evergreen offense. You can use it on anybody. That that's <laughs> That's one of the things Orlando Colón is really good at is his offense is very evergreen. It it's it doesn't matter if it would be big sh- from Big Show to Rey Mysterio it's stuff that you could perform on them and it would not uh, break your disbelief.
0: And heels should be a little more basic on offense because you don't want to be too flashy and have people cheering for you. Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, yes. And then the the answer to that is, well what if that's your gimmick? Well, okay. That's there, there's my 90% rule. 9 times out of 10 this is the rule except when it's not, you know.
0: Well, I mean, like we could use the Young Bucks as an example. The Young Bucks know how to get people to hate them even if they're doing cool stuff
1: yes that 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 is a good example you know it's it's not um, it's not hard for the bucks to piss people off because they have an understanding of how to work the crowd that way Doink's offense looks good and it's not complicated because he doesn't want anybody actually liking anything that he does he, he wants people to hate like everything he's doing
0: yeah and he even his finisher, which we didn't see here, was the Stump Puller, so.
2: Which just looks mean, you know. Yeah. When did he start using that? Because I I felt throughout this period he was just using like the 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 whoopee cushion.
0: No, he's doing the oh. Stump Puller now. I think the the whoopee cushion was more when he was face. A face? Yeah, I don't. Well, he went in this for last, it on Raw though. Yeah, in this Savage
2: match, he, um, he actually went for it, missed.
0: Yeah, maybe he switched in the summer. Because I've seen all the Raws in this time period, and he, he won a couple matches with it on Raw.
1: I am still baffled as to why anyone would want to turn this gimmick face. It, it, it seems rather tone-deaf a move.
0: It's Because Vince couldn't handle it. Because I had mentioned to you guys when I watched this stuff that it's really interesting in 1993 that you can see that the desire for... The, is there from the crowds that they might, they don't want the attitude era, but they want the product to grow up a little bit. And Vince goes hard in the opposite direction of what they want. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, So uh, just to kind of break down uh, on, on the matches themselves a little bit, if you want to look for this one on YouTube, it's listed as uh, May 1st, 93 doing perfect is the first one. Uh, one of the first things that comes to mind anytime I see the, the Doink gimmick in the ring is just how ungodly hot that gear had to be. Because hmm. he is covered from shoulder to wrist and collarbone to ankle in gear with just a big collar to let heat out. It's just like, oh, God, that looks miserable.
0: And it doesn't look like it breathes very well.
1: Not not really, no. And uh, But he comes out and does – and we were talking – he's got basic stuff, but it, it looks – good it looks effective what were you gonna say Matt I
2: I don't know who designed his like attire or his face paint but I actually do feel like in a, in many ways at least I mean pretty much just in wrestling lore but it's become like iconic like he there's the the doink face paint is like easily recognizable if you are a fan of like the WWE or F mm-hmm. from this like the last like, let's say 25-30 years because um, he made just, all the
0: video games in this time period.
2: He did make a lot of video games, and I, if you want to actually talk about toys, like they're still doing doing toys because they um they a while back like a year ago they funded uh it's basically like the um new generation like that like <laughs> that period of the WWE F when they were doing the whole like new generation it's all the, mm-hmm. all the Dayglow crap like from the 90s when, like, Michaels and, and Diesel and everything were, like, being... They were becoming, like, the, the main guys. But that new generation, like, they they funded a ring um, with some setup stuff. And if you did... If you funded the ring within certain time periods, I meaning, like, the, certain days funding, um, like, it was a basically a crowdsource. But they gave you, like, a Diesel figure. They gave you, I think, uh, a Macho Man figure. And one of the figures was Doink, (laughs) so they actually put out a a brand new Doink in his classic attire. Mm -hmm. So this the the character still has like maybe popularity is not the right word, but people recognize him, like people remember him.
1: Yeah,
0: certain cachet would probably be the.
1: I'm trying to look up. It's just listed as traditional clown makeup but maybe the fact that like his offense it's not it's it's basic and not complicated but that makes it more uh,
2: recognizable and I even also I've talked about this before but I personally I do think that the his theme music was great because it starts oh, off yeah. with the like the classic circus music da, 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 yeah, and the March like, of the Gladiators like, I think Oh, is that what the song is called? I, I don't think remember. that's what it's called. And then within like a few seconds, it goes. It starts like the really dramatic, like sinister downbeat of things, and it's like oh. Cool. And then he, I mean, he was Matt Bourne was great. He was great, obviously, with the visuals. But if you're coming from like head to toe in like an outfit, like you kind of have to. Right. But his face was showing when I mean, he also covered entirely in like you know makeup or corpse paint. Like he needed to kind of emote, but he did a really good job. Like he did a really good job emoting and one of the things i obviously i loved is that he would do these exaggerated exaggerated facials mm-hmm. but you know he'd laugh and then when the music starts he'd like do this like fake cry like his face gets all frowny and everything like that it's uh, it was great like he he understood the assignment yeah and he added certain elements we can talk about some of the elements as we uh, talk about the matches but he added certain elements to it that i do think enhancement enhanced it everyone hates or loves evil clowns yeah, They're scary. They're scary for a reason, uh, and he really, really like laid into that. And this was actually a good time period too, because I think around this time or a little before it was when uh, they did the mini series of Stephen King's It. Right. Uh, yeah. Tim as Pennywise. I think so...
0: too. Um, it helps. It it adds a certain element to his character that he is such a competent in ring worker too. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, he was he was fantastic worker.
1: He, like you said, he understood the assignment and leaned in and made like part of what makes the clown thing so unsettling for people is that it is like an, for lack of a better term, an analog version of the whole uncanny valley thing. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, it's like, well, that's not quite. That's not quite human and unsettling enough to bother me. And for some people, eh, whatever, you know, it's face paint. But for other people, it impacts them in such a way that it is is very, very unsettling. Mm -hmm. And. Then having, like you mentioned, Matt, the rapid change of emotion that he would throw in there makes it even more so, you know, he goes from ha 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 to. All of a sudden, he's because he didn't have the, um, the, the, the Adam West Batman Joker thing with the smile painted on. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, it was just around his facial features. So when his face would drop, it was very apparent that he was very unhappy. Mm -hmm. And then you tie in, you know, the backstory, the, um, oh, not Bundy um
2: Gacy
1: Gacy yeah you tie that in
2: I was actually going to mention that cuz looking at looking at the visuals mm-hmm. of John Wayne Gacy as like what was he Pogo the Pogo comic? Yeah. yeah yeah looking at the visuals like, like the doink makeup is similar I won't say it's a, it's a copy like it's it's not like it's but it's similar mm-hmm. so it's enough of like something to be unsettling
0: it has You're the right. weird it has the weird like they talked about this on last podcast on the left. Like part of what makes um, Pogo the clown like scary, even without, if, even if you don't consider that he was a serial killer, is like the edges of his makeup are very not rounded. Like they're weird and like, like the angles are weird and stuff, which adds a certain oh. element to it. And and Doink has those weird like hard lines to his makeup too.
1: Okay, I see. It's kind of. Like how there's uh, certain geometry that goes into certain characters' appearances that make them inherently unsettling. Like the angles that are in Darth Vader's mask make him look more sinister.
0: It's why Joker is pointy.
1: Yes, and you're you're right. You know, you look at, at Doink's face paint, and it doesn't. Most of the time, you would see that it because it's easier to just round it you know, circles around the eyes and that sort of stuff, but he's got the hard angles. You're absolutely right. I'd forgotten all about that.
0: I need I tried to look for pictures, but it's hard to tell what's what. I wonder if they softened that a bit when he went face.
1: It's uh, a good question. Um,
0: I, I'm impressed that I don't know. I'm impressed that he learned to ride a unicycle just for an entrance on a match.
1: Wow. Yeah. Cause that's no small feat.
0: Yeah, cause was that the savage match he came out on the unicycle? Uh yes. I was, I was... impressed. I was like, wow, like that's that's
2: commitment.
1: Yeah, that's some dedication to the art right there.
2: All right. Uh, uh... Oh crap! I just I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was going to say something.
1: Mm-hmm. Um... But man, like,
2: his, uh...
0: Henning was so good in these two.
2: He really hitting, was. Henning was great um playing the straight man to the goofiness I'm sorry like I I now like lost my um my timing but yeah. since you mentioned the podcast I was going to go I'm Minnie. I'm <laughs> Manny! <laughs> Are you, you okay?
1: Rest. I'm Manny! It's like I just have a migraine. Maybe I
2: can help you. I was going to do a last podcast <laughs> reference.
1: <laughs> so
0: So so what happens with the series is they're trying to... They did qualifiers for the actual tournament. So this is a qualifier, but they keep having time limit draws until they go to Raw, where they finally get a winner. But this is where, again, Jim Ross is awesome, because you watch the first match, and Vince kind of ruins it. And then you get to... You get to the second match, and Ross and Heenan are calling it. And suddenly, like, they're stakes. It feels like they're stakes. There, everything feels like Ross is giving you like technical stuff. Um, Heenan's talking about Henning, and he's like, you know, he might be what the meanest guy in the WWF that wasn't Andre or something like that. It's just he wouldn't listen. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just the second one felt so much more important.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me let me flip to that. Like, the very that very first match is is like the full on Vince the full blown overblown. He's like, goes in for the one, two, three. Got him. It's like, dude, that was barely that was barely a two count.
2: That's one of the Vince and that I really hate it. You know, oh, th- there was a couple God. times that they were actually like legit, like there were two counts. But it's like, like, oh, yes, he's got him one, two, three. It's over. It's like, no, 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 Vince, no. And then he acts shocked. and It's like. Oh,
1: apparently it's not a three count. And Lawler's like, no. That wasn't anywhere close to a three count. What's wrong with you? You know, it's are your headphones on too tight or something like that. And, you know, Lawler giving him down the road and and Vince either not noticing or completely ignoring it.
0: (laughs) That's why that's why Lawler is a bad matchup for him, because he dumbs it down in WWE and he's a little more obnoxious, but. Lawler's humor, unlike Heenan, there's a certain bite to it, mm-hmm. and there's like, like he gets in there and he'll get you like he'll get like a real subtle one off, and you can you know Vince just totally missed it and it kind of ruins it.
1: Or Vince, yeah, Vince is too slow on the uptake, but since he did, he won't let anything breathe, he just goes on to the next thing, and then there's sometimes there's this little pause where he's like, oh. That was that was that was a joke.
0: Yeah, because Lawler, because Lawler in this era, I think, is still a little Memphis Lawler, and yeah, he doesn't want to talk over everything. Like he's fine just sitting there watching for like thirty seconds, and then he'll like say something about what's going on or. Um, or, you know get a joke off and i think vince is just talking cho- talking and talking and talk, and i think you can kind of feel lawler's kind of like just jesus christ like shut up <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah he sounds genuinely irritated when he's barbing vince in this I,
2: I i do think i mean people have talked about this i do think that that lawler's best person he played off of with was jr um unfortunately like a lot of people have like rose colored glasses for like the attitude era which mm-hmm. i don't I no. really don't think that I think a lot, of, lot like there are obviously like some of the classic stuff that people love from the Attitude Era, but there was also what there's a lot of like crap in the Underworld. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of bad stuff that people forget was bad just because everything was so hot they think it was all great. It's like no, it wasn't. Uh, but they, they did play off each other even though I think by the Attitude Era beginning we talked about this recently mm-hmm. I think that that J R Jim Ross was like on his he started his decline.
0: He was in the Bell's palsy phase. He he was declining with yeah. that. Because where where Ross is a good matchup though is because Ross will give it back. Like that's one mm-hmm. of the things I've I've learned to appreciate with a lot of the stuff that we've watched. And I think for his heat and off is like Lawler does. I mean Ross doesn't. Ross is not like a pushover like Michael Cole is. Like if you're if you're kind of acting up, Ross is going to start getting jabs in on you. hmm And he does it real subtle. Cause like he's He's got a very understated sense of humor, but like I think that's why him and Hayes work so well because Hayes like Hayes gets it with him and like you know just does his thing and then like you know will be you know exasperated at his like at his jabs mm-hmm. it's kind of they they he he's kind of like what monsoon was just a little more toned down
2: the problem with that hey, if you're looking at like the modern era. Uh, jim ross is that things that he doesn't like like he'll throw out about aew yeah and it's it's like sometimes to the point where he's like actively like trashing the product and it's like dude uh that's that's the product of the company you work for i know so you don't need to to go so hard in the paint sometimes when you you don't like something it's like you, you can just be silent. You literally have like two co-hosts at all times. Like they can just let them talk.
0: Yeah. Now like, I, I will say I will say I used to hate Taz, but like AEW Taz is funny as fuck.
2: Uh, AEW Taz, Taz has vastly improved from what he used to be. I when he was when he became an announcer in the WWE, I thought he was like okay. I think that he initially became good in like TNA, and then he got that. But yeah. I do think that he has like greatly improved. I feel like he's he finally has got it and he's he's good, that like, he actually can be a good color guy and he also can and be funny as hell.
0: And like with him he's... and Excalibur together and they're just trying to like crack each other up, like that's
2: It's a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah,
1: Excalibur, Excalibur, you delicious little toss. <laughs> <laughs> William Regal's trolling of Excalibur yes. is just amazing to watch because hilarious it's it's a rib but excalibur is still thrown off by it every time every time and it's it's funny continuously
0: now i will say um i think lance russell and lawler were better because when lawler was a heel and like doing his stuff like lance was the perfect foil for that because Mm -hmm. you know you're gonna get the eye roll and like the sigh and the and the disappointed lance
2: come on jerry
0: yeah like that's where (laughs) you don't have
2: to you don't have to be like that
0: and you know lance lance would let stuff breathe and like he was always on he always got it which i think is great but um yeah so they just don't i
2: I, I'm sorry to cut you off, and I'm sorry to interject this about Lance Russell. I think it was like, was it on like a, was it on the last fan, like one of the earlier episodes they did, like about Starkade and uh, and they 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 realized that Lance Russell was wearing like two pinky rings, <laughs> <laughs> and they did a whole bit where it's like, oh Lance, Lance Russell was like a pimp. He was like a Mac Daddy. He's got two <laughs> pinky rings. Got a girl in every town.
1: two pinky rings in the suits he had man lance russell had his mac game down
0: he was like the weatherman before Mm -hmm. before um he did the memphis stuff because that's that's a big deal is like when when you talk about what memphis was is it was lance russell and jerry lawler but he was like the local weatherman before that
1: so but in the course of this you know, it, it it it's frustrating and it takes away from the match. the the first match, the ending on it. Um, we have the match ends just prior to the perfect plex going.
0: Like he has like, him in the hold and he's getting ready to like flip him in the bell rings.
1: Yeah. So it it feels like, oh, that's just rough timing. Like, and that's different from the second one.
0: Yeah, because the second one was awkward, like where they chose to do it, because I was like, because even I think Ross and Heenan were confused because they were just like going to town on each other. I'm like, well, did the ref just say fuck it and toss this one or like and they're like, what well, was a time limit. And I'm like, oh, OK, but I for a minute there. I was like, wait, did the ref just get pissed off and like DQ both of them? Because that would have made sense because they were just in the middle of the ring, like punching each other and not listening.
1: It would have been weird to me for them to, the, it, you know, for it to be the DQ throw there, given what we had before that. Yeah. And it, they were letting it ride. And then they did that, and I'm like, oh, it's time limit again. And yeah. it's frustrating because the second match, whereas the first match was like a full, complete story that happened to cut off right before the finish, the second match feels like it didn't even get halfway done.
0: No, the the second match feels a little weird. There there are things I like a lot about the second match though because the aggression is a subtly there. There's a little more urgency in everything they're doing. Um, like they're they're very much more focused on the mat work. Um, Henning kind of gets her a receipt for the the ring steps from the first match.
1: Yep. Oh, he um, goes into the steps a
0: lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. because because the, like I think you guys said, there's a lot of the same spots, which I agree with. But there's some subtle there's some subtle things that I like to see in a series of matches that they did here, because mm-hmm. when you get to the third match, which I don't know which one I thought was the best actually, because they all kind of vary in the same range. I think the Raw match might have been the best one. The Raw of the Superstars match was the best one, I think. Yeah. But like when you get to the third match, like Henning's just fed up with him. Yeah. And like I, Henning's I, like hyper aggressive.
2: I do um I did like uh Bobby Heenan's commentary in this. Just because every every time Dwight would come out and do his antics, he'd be like, ah like like he did like the fake laugh. Was, ah, this guy is hilarious. He's so funny. He's a funny guy. <laughs> and the face like announcer is like perplexed.
0: He does these great impressions. You would think it was the real person. <laughs>
2: it's
1: like, what are you doing? Um, the, the second match flipped it a little bit too because it was like you had the face doing heel stuff and the heel doing face stuff in terms of the match structure. But, you know, because Doink got the crap kicked out of him for a lot of it. But then whenever he comes back, he doesn't do a lot, but the stuff he does is big and vicious looking. And whenever we get to the third match, we're getting more of that. You know, we have that progression of Perfect is, is sick of it and he's pissed about it. Doink is being vicious. And then there's a, another wrinkle in the third match, too.
0: Yeah, which I, I really um I like that they ended the series on this. So. They kind of did some foreshadowing because they've been doing the it's magic where they in the second match they did like this is supposed to be a like an it crush insert and it's doink. Yeah. Oh and it's then, an
1: illusion. Yeah.
0: And then he steals um he steals Lord Alfred Hayes' kerchief outside yeah. when he goes under the ring and he comes out of the ring with it, which I thought was funny. Um, you know, using those tape tape delayed promos. But so Doink goes under the ring because he's doing the old switcheroo. Mm -hmm. Another Doink comes out. And um so then he kind of starts getting one over on Henning. And Vince was okay here because he he's like, No, that can't be the same Doink. Look at the face paint. Which
2: Oh yeah, that that's true. Yeah.
0: I thought that was actually an astute like adding to the match for Vince. But it blows up in his face because Henning finally gets him in the Henning plex and pins him.
2: Yeah. The, uh, the double vision doink. Yeah. Yeah. The,
0: uh, the second doink. <laughs> and, um, I really like that for a feud under because doink had avoided doing his bullshit the whole time and had kept it stalemated. But when he finally went for it, it totally blew up in his face and cost him the tournament. I,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I really thought that was a great way to end it.
1: Yeah. I like that. Um, Vince is still not great here because he's the moment like Henning's beating the crap out of Doink and then Doink reverses a whip and sends him into the, the, the turnbuckle post. And Vince, like, <laughs> it's like, dude, sit down, shut up, you know, eat your birthday cake and be quiet. I
0: did. I did um, like that. Savage was like, I'm ready to watch this. Like and he does the oh, yeah, like at the beginning, like it actually kind of it was like, oh, the macho man's into this. OK,
1: yeah. And then at the end, I don't know why they did this, but they just they cut to Todd Pettengill in the back watching it on a tiny monitor. He turns around and goes, no, no, no. Cut back. And I'm like, why did you do this?
0: Yes, that would have only been acceptable if Doink had like stormed the room and beaten him with a fake arm because I hate Todd Pettengill. But
1: I, 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 I cannot for the life of me figure out what the purpose of doing that was. No, because you didn't
0: see the pin. Yeah, it, it, it. Kevin Dunn hmm. started Kevin Dunn, early. Was Kevin Dunn there at the time?
1: Uh, well, yeah, because he
2: was there for a long time.
1: Yeah, He's yeah. still there.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm just. I'm gonna say this is this was Bucky Beaver starting early. How dare you know? Whatever, but yeah, we get we get a good definitive finish on this, and there's nothing left on the table of oh, what if xyz it happened
0: yeah because it's like well he cheated and he it cost him
1: right so
0: i i enjoyed these quite a bit like i would not if you were to say like well what would you snowflake these at and i would say like i might give one of them two and three-fourths but they're in about the two and a half to two and a fourth territory which for tv at the time is really good like that, those kind of matches didn't grow on trees at the time.
2: Yeah, I would uh, I'd agree with that. But these were these are perfectly fine. Like, well, they were actually pretty decent, pretty good for like TV matches. Um, and you're right. Like, if you actually, if you go back in time and look, at least just on the pay-per-views or big shows like Clash of the Champions stuff that was like televised, but it was more than just like a TV show. If you go back and look at like the Dave Meltzer star ratings for like this period of time, like the early nine early to mid nineties, uh, both WWF and WCW. Uh like matches you didn't really get like being a get high matches. If it was like a four star match, it was like, oh wow. Like that that was one of the matches of the year.
0: Like three star was enough to like consider watching a pay per view back in yeah. the day. Like you yeah, could yeah. go you could literally go probably six to eight months of tv from either promotion and not get a match this good mm-hmm. on tv
1: which it's just that's rough
2: now one it's, of the things go ahead man i'm sorry i, I was i'm off. sorry i was my only thought was like i that's true like of that era but i also do think that it's a whole other separate argument discussion like I do think that Melzer like overrates things now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. It, when, if every match is five stars, nothing's five stars really. Yeah. Right. I will five say, up. like he gets out way too many.
0: Yeah, he does.
2: He does. I agree.
0: I think now, the general quality's better now, but I will say with mm-hmm. these, like I think the mat work in these have a lot of merit. Has a lot of merit to it. It's it's fun. It's really an interesting bit of psychology mm-hmm. to see to see two wrestlers basically basing all of their mat work around the singular move that they're trying to get or prevent.
1: Right. There's a very solid story in their approach. And uh, I like that a lot. The one thing that struck me in this, and I'm not saying this is bad. I'm saying that this is a uh, propensity. It's something that happens. Because when you were having a series of matches with somebody. One thing that will happen is you end up kind of having the same match a lot because, you know, I'm, I'm watching or, you know, I'm going out and I'm having a match with somebody and I end up just kind of hitting a lot of the same beats or the guy that brought me in the business, his go-to, if they didn't have any ideas for what they were going to do that night, was that he would he would work the leg and his work the leg was typically the same spots into the figure four and that his finish was he either did a frog splash or he did uh, you know like Jarrett's stroke or something like that but the idea was he's working the leg working the leg working the leg and he can't get it so he got he would get pissed off and just say screw it and go to go to the, his usual finish um, but. That's not necessarily bad. You have a lot of practice doing it. Ric Flair did it for years. Uh, but in watching this, it's like I'm I'm watching variations on the same theme over and over. Um, but again, to me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that happens.
0: I think if it was spread out to when these actually aired and you watched them real time, it probably would come off better.
1: Mm-hmm. it might watching them back to back to back make probably makes them pop off more
0: it, it showed the uh, progression better though like the the increased aggression the fact that like henning just wasn't having any of it and was doing things like smashing his leg on the ring post in the in the last match
1: mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah uh, yes sim like i said similar matches around the theme but that this doesn't make it a bad thing no so
2: I did like I, one thing I, I mean, he's in there with like a world class wrestler and in, and uh, in hitting. But one thing I just I just absolutely loved with this. It did show like at, at points that Dwayne Kermat actually was just like, a really good worker. Really good. Like he could have easily. uh, He could have done it like all like he go in there and they could wrestle. You got their brawl. Like, he was just fantastic. You get to see a little bit of that.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it seems to me that Bourne's biggest strength was really in his character work, which is great. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. His ring work's solid. And, you know, being good at the character work is is nice because even if, like, it... It is also evergreen that way, because if you go out there and work a match with Bret Hart for this time period, you go out and work a match with Bret Hart. Bret's game for a lot, and he's having a real technical thing. And then you go out and you have a match with, I don't know, Crush, and wow, you are not not on the same planet in terms of, of skill, but the character work will carry you through in both cases. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough credit given for that sort of, you know, that's part of part of Orange Cassidy is the character work applies. It's just his work rate stuff is a bit higher.
0: You know, I just watched um I just watched the best friend's appearance on the Floor is lava, and he stayed in character the whole time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> my my wife and I actually tried to watch that last night, and then it was like late at night, so. She got tired and we he weren't able to finish it but. he did not
0: make it through the end he he died right at the end but um up to that point on the course like I've never seen anyone make it look that easy
2: he I mean you pointed out like back when he was uh he was like fire right yeah like he at one point he like literally like was scaling like a, a, a pillar in like a gym like he's I mean, he can do spots where he has his hands in his pocket and do, like, kip-ups and dives. Like, he is ridiculously good in terms of, like, being an acrobat. His core strength must be, like, insane.
1: Yeah.
0: If if people listening want their mind blown, there's a point in Chikara where the colony was literally Tracy Williams, Drew Gulak, and Orange Cassidy. Hmm. And... Because um, Tracy Williams was Green Ant slash Silver Ant, and Drew Gulak was Soldier Ant.
1: Wow. Okay. But but yeah, the character work is is excellent. So yeah. I wonder if he if he died,
2: spoilers. But if he die, if he like <laughs> loses and in floors lava, please tell me that when he goes into the lava, he just puts his hand up. With he, like, the thumbs up. He does. And then it's like, it's like, he does?
0: Yes, he does. That's
2: amazing. Like, like he, it's Terminator re- 2. It's, it's got, yes. It's got he, re- like Terminator 2. He literally,
0: <laughs> he literally does it all in character. He's in his outfit the whole time.
2: He does, he's in character at all times. Like, there was, he, he and the best friends are on, like, some promo thing, commercial or, or appearance or something for, baseball or something it was like they're promoting something that was on like tbs or tnt like a baseball game and they go to him because it's like oh now's your time to talk to orange cassidy he just like in character like totally clueless like oh what is this baseball okay and then (laughs) it says like yeah i hope both teams win (laughs) something stupid (laughs) like that he 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 does
0: he does go in the lava and does the thumbs up as he perishes that's amazing Stat- okay. Yeah, I'll spoil it. Statlander's the only one that survives. She's
1: got enough strength to just pick stuff up. Oh no, she does.
0: They did do this thing where she she jumps on one thing, and like she landed in a way that I've literally seen almost everyone else on that show fall in, and she just she just Slams deadlifted it. herself
1: up. Oh wow.
0: No, because we've talked about Statlander before, that her matches can get a little sloppy because she's inexperienced. But it doesn't matter if she blows a spot because she's so strong she can just power her out of her mistakes.
1: Right, right.
0: Because if like she's if she doesn't have like a suplex right, like oh okay, well I'll just I'll just fix that or oh this body slam's a little wonky, like oh okay.
1: Uh, just a little wonky, that's okay. We'll bring it back up and do it again.
0: Yeah, like I can hold you and like fit, get my my um my my footing and my my grip right. Like it's just. It's amazing how strong she actually is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just a shame her knees gave out on her. Oh, I know. So, all right. And then uh, what was the other one we were getting into? So I think
0: this is from August 3rd. This is um, Randy Savage versus Doink. I think this might be the episode of Raw where they do that Yokozuna-Lex Luger contract signing.
1: Okay. Where were they having this match? Because... I'm I'm watching this match and in my head I'm thinking this looks like places where I used to wrestle. Well, like...
0: so so raw raw in like the first couple years was in the Manhattan Center a lot. So it was supposed to be in smaller, more intimate settings. Oh, okay. Like so that that was the idea of early raw. So this is like within the first years so they were sticking to that. So it was just a smaller venue.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well.
0: So this is the one where, where Doink comes out on the unicycle, which I appreciated the, the dedication. And then Savage comes out in a USA outfit. And um, this was pretty good. It, it
1: was pretty good. It was um, pretty good. Let me
0: see. And um, I would yes. say, I would say, I would say, and probably people would pelt me with trash. I would say... Savage was not bad, but Doink carried him in this.
1: It seemed uh, like Doink was doing a lot of early work. Um, also, interesting start of the match. Savage
2: goes looking for more Doinks, yeah,
1: make there aren't any really more cool. of them around. Yeah,
2: I, I love yeah, that. It was smart. He was actually like a smart face. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It, Vince tries to do banter during this match, and it's. Awful. Yeah, Vince
0: is really oh, bad because he actually says keister in this.
1: It's like yeah. Point. Right on the keister. And I'm like. Brad, you made me watch this.
0: No, no, no. Do not blame me. Matt picked this one out. <laughs> I did
2: pick this one out. <laughs> um, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby.
1: <laughs> well, Brad still, I still have a lot of blame to give to him for Blackjack Brawl.
0: No, we we watched oh, yeah. that because it was going to be bad. There was no I never promised that was going to be good. I told you we were watching it because it was going to be I
1: bad. I busted a vessel yelling over that uh, that Samson Irish assassin match like that was so bad. I, I I think that like a quarter of my eye turned red because of like I was so mad but, about n- that. Yeah. Now
0: we have the baseline of the worst professional wrestling match ever.
2: That's yes, we do. I there was one thing that early on I thought was really cool, and I thought again talking about character work, I thought it like, it added a lot to Doink. It was like uh like he goes to punch Randy, and Randy like moved out of the way, and so he like like this big dadger. like he missed it, and he like collapses into the ropes. Doink does yeah, but then he like just holds onto the ropes and like looks at Savage and just starts like evil laughing. It's like like ah, he got out of my way. Like it, it's. Yeah, to me, it was, like, really, really clever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was something... So, I, I liked his character work and the Henning stuff, but there's something more locked in with the character for this match. It's like he had finally, like, ironed out, like, all of the kinks and had it, like, down in this yeah. match versus the the Henning stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, I, I, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, because... It, through the course, you know, through the course of the Henning one, there'd be moments where he'd be like, "Oh yeah, emote," and he look at the camera and do something. But in this one, it's more consistent.
0: It feels it's, more natural. Yes. Like so, there's not that that moment of, "Well, oh, what what would Doink do in this situation?" Versus, "Oh, this is what I'm gonna do." Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Doink got a lot more offense in. He, he, it seemed like he's just. He, he was just giving it to Savage for most of the match.
0: Yeah, just... and, and this is where I think this, this match speaks a lot to Matt Bourne's quality as a worker because WWF crowds, especially in this era, can really sit on their hands for matches. And he mm-hmm. really gets this crowd going. Yeah. Like, he really. They, they're in. Like, this is something that, that the current WWE should watch in that he really builds good heat so Savage can
1: shine. He does a very good job. Yeah.
0: And I like his where he's also great is like when he's doing I mean, he's he does a lot of submission stuff here. But like his facial expressions and like some of his over the top, like emoting really Mm -hmm. make his mat work compelling. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it it adds so much to it. And then we get the the fun ending on this one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if this is Dink, by the way.
2: I don't know. But yeah. I did I did love that this basically is, like, uh, this is Doink's, like, bullshit coming back mm-hmm. on him. Yeah. Because so Sa- so- Savage did a, a, a version of Double Vision on him.
0: Yeah, so Savage goes under the ring, and then a little person dressed as Savage with a face mask on, which I thought was funny, yeah. um, comes out. And Doink is very unamused by this yeah. development.
1: That's my gimmick. You can't steal my gimmick. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what he said.
0: You're ripping me off. Hoo hoo hoo.
1: Yeah, yeah. But then I don't remember what Savage did when Doink was kind of losing it on on Mini so Macho. He, he
0: comes out and he chases him around, and Savage like kind of leg sweeps him and jumps on him when he comes around to his side of the ring.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's okay. kind of how
0: Savage comes back into it.
1: Yeah, he it, it's a very strong way to take over.
0: It was very unique the way Savage got him actually. I was kind of like, "Oh, I'm not I don't think I've seen like that quite happen before."
1: Right, right. But uh, you know, yeah. it, it, this was good. Like And then Savage honestly. rolls
0: him up with a small package for the win.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like Doink surprised Savage with getting ahead of him and so Savage was like, "Yeah." You thought you had me, but I've got the madness (laughs) yeah. And the plan, the plan comes together. Yeah.
0: So I, I like this one. I think it was about in the range where the Henning doink matches were. I'd probably say in that like two to two and a half star area.
1: I figure that's, that's pretty, that's pretty safe, uh, Pretty safe rating to give it. He has a striking
0: uh, consistency between these matches, actually. Like, um, very good. He's a very good mat worker.
1: Mm-hmm. But not in such a way that takes you out of the gimmick either. No. Because if he was if he was mat working like Lance Storm, but had the doink makeup on, you'd be like, eh, no. Yeah. It, it's there is. Something in his body language that is very kind of wild and unconstrained. So the best way I can think of it is, if you had, I'll use Lance Storm since I just mentioned his name. If you had Lance Storm grab somebody's arm or somebody's leg, and he's doing a uh, standing standing leg lock. You know, the the ankle's tucked behind his shoulder. He's got his arms clasped around the leg. And he's kind of twisting on it a little bit. You would expect Lance Storm to be standing but kind of squatting a little bit or he'd be down on one knee. Doink, in the same thing, would have his feet splayed way out and his body leaned way forward and his face real close to you with that big grin on his face. And it's not anything that's definitively evil clown or whatever but it really fits in with the gimmick in this kind of wild uh undisciplined aspect
0: well he's got he's kind of got the joker energy where a psychopath is a psychopath but he's a psychopath that also knows what he's doing
1: yes it's 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 a very wild undisciplined and yet still effective
0: yeah because it's like it's like, well, no, he is crazy and like he's doing all this stuff, but it's like, oh, your your finisher is arm based. Well, like let me just attack your arm then.
1: Yeah. Let's just let's just take this out of the way.
0: Yeah, and like I might be crazy and undisciplined about it, but like there, you know, like there is a point in all of this.
1: Yes.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, um, these were a fun series of matches. Uh so there's one thing we need to discuss, and we're gonna be a week Behind on this because our recording's a little wonky, so we've been recording like a week behind and it bit us in the butt. But um, a true legend in the wrestling industry died this past weekend, and that was Antonio Inoki. Yeah,
1: yes. yeah, yeah. And it's hard to quantify, even for example, me, who is the least. Uh, puro uh, familiar of the group i know inoki right his impact on the business even from across the pacific is something that was still noticeable
0: i mean he 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 had a massive impact on boxing history because he essentially ruined muhammad ali's (laughs) career
1: yeah
0: we talked about that they said I mean, I think I, we read that article Matt and I did about how they thought they might have to amputate one of Ali's legs because Inoki just kicked him so
1: much. Mm-hmm. And that came out of Ollie's camp instituting more and more restrictive rules on what Inoki could and couldn't do. And it's like, well, you've, you've, you've taken this guy and kind of backed him into a corner and then... You can't do anything that you would do in, in this match basically so that Ali can pummel you and come out on top. And then he was like, guess what? I figured out something else.
0: Yeah, because what, what Inoki actually did was really boring but brilliant. So Inoki kind of just lays on his back and kicks the shit out of him Yeah. for like 40 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's boring, but like it's... Place. Yeah, I was going to say, it's boring as hell to watch, but it's actually brilliant strategy on his part.
1: Mhm. And um Inoki was in um the NES Classic Pro Wrestling as fighter Hayabusa.
0: Oh, that's true. What were you going to say, mm-hmm. Matt?
2: Uh I I was going to say like it, it is kind of a boring match, but it's it is like technically brilliant. Um because yeah, like he, he, the guy can't like punch you into oblivion if you're just on your back. But he would like basically it's on like almost like a crab and just like would attack yeah yeah odd it was odd it was like but it, i mean there was like strategy to it
0: yeah but um yeah that was that was surprising news i
1: think um i heard today uh from alvarez they were going to announce this um I think this coming weekend, but obviously didn't get a chance was that new Japan and Inoki had had a new deal wherein Inoki was going to be taking on, uh, I guess a figurehead role for the company, bringing him back into the new Japan fold. Cause he hadn't been with the company for a while and stuff like that.
0: It'd been about 17 years, I think,
1: is that how long it had been since he flipped out on Luke Gallows and that other guy for having a bad match?
0: It's been it's been a
1: long time. Long time.
0: It's it, he left somewhere around when Lesnar had the IWGP, I think.
1: Oh wow, okay.
0: Because when they started, when they finally put the belt on Tanahashi, he was gone.
1: But just Inoki's. Uh... Role in kind of forming what wrestling is in Japan today, right?
0: Yeah, he and Baba.
1: I mean, it's a it's it's a big deal. Even if you're not familiar with it, to have one of the two guy, well, three, I guess I should say, that shaped the industry for an entire country. That that's a big deal because I'm I'm counting Ricky Dozan as oh, yeah, one Ricky of the Dozan's, three. Oh yeah, Ricky Dozan.
0: I mean. the the pioneer forefather
1: right ricky dozen Um, is the forefather and then baba and enoki as the um
0: took it into the what it is today Yeah, took it into the modern era
1: yep so uh yeah it it, it's rough i wish i had more to say about it but
0: well it was it it was it's odd timing too because they just did that big he was he was the surprise card in the um Bethesda Trago Hall of Fame set for Legends of Wrestling oh, wow. this year, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, just absolute legend. You can discuss his merits as a worker. Um, we might do a show with it because his, his matches with Vader are interesting. But um, yeah, that's just... He's, he's a... He's a massive, like, loss, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, am. Um... Cause listening to uh, Dave Meltzer talk about him, I almost, I probably wouldn't do this for the show. I might just do it like on my own initiative. But I guess the classic, by classic I mean like historical uh, match he had with Roland Bach. Did you, uh, you heard about that one? No. Roland Bach, I guess, was like a German, like legit, was like a German, um, like Olympic Greco-Roman wrestler. And he was never like a great professional wrestler, but. He, he was involved with professional wrestling after his uh, actual, like, Olympics. There was a match he had with Antonio Inoki um, that might have been done in Germany, but it aired in, in Japan, and it was notable because, like, for whatever reason, like, Bach didn't cooperate at all. He just didn't, didn't want to do that. And and know he was, like, getting frustrated and trying, so, like basically turn turned into, like, a shoot, but the problem is, like, Bach... Was I guess just so damn strong. Like Anoki was trying to like shoot on him and he couldn't, because he, he, Bach was just like too strong. He was apparently just like ragdolling Anoki <laughs> around. So it became famous because like Anoki obviously became like a, a legend uh, in the in the business and still it is. But he had this guy like decided to not go into, bu- go into business for himself basically. Um, now contrast that with like the, the infamous match. That didn't uh I think Bill like you did it. Oh the Great yeah. Antonio, yeah. yeah, Great Antonio, who actually was I guess like a star of some sort back in the day, like in the 60s at least.
1: He was and... a strong man like attraction type guy I think. Yeah,
2: and didn't cooperate also like either with Pinocchio, but that didn't work out well for him because Pinocchio just shot the hell like he shoots the
0: living in shit out of him. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: he hell out of him. And I seen that I seen that and it's like it's it's hilarious. <laughs> It's
1: rough in, in hindsight because apparently Inoki just knocked something loose in the guy's brain. What was And he was never the same afterward.
0: What was that one we watched? Remember that one I sent you with Ricky Dozen where the guy stopped cooperating and Ricky Dozen just started slapping the shit out of him until he knocked oh, him I out?
1: I don't remember.
0: Because like, Ricky Dozen was a sumo and this guy wasn't cooperating, so Ricky Dozen just starts like... Kind of doing like the E Honda, just like starts, <laughs> big, to say. just starts like giving him like those big like slaps to the face, and it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that because um, he seems like he's a better motherfucker than you.
1: Yeah. He got the hundred hand slap and and Ricky Dozen starts giving him the business, and that's about all there was to it. I
0: still think my favorite is the 10 to one. Because, oh, yeah. because that one is like where Katawe's like not cooperating, but he's too scared of Tenta to actually fully commit to it. And Tenta's like trying to work with him until Tenta's had enough. And he's like, okay, dude, let's, let's just do this.
1: I am. I I remember from that one, like there's Katawe Just, I mean, talking so much shit right up to the point where he starts backpedaling well, so, and all I can think is, dude, you have written way too big of a check for your ass to not cash. Now. So what
0: Meltzer said is, so Katawe was being a bitch because he was a higher ranked sumo when they did their stuff than, than Tenta was. Because Tenta mm-hmm. was a legit sumo. Yes. So he's being difficult because of that. He didn't want to like do business with him. But then he wouldn't commit because he was afraid that he would that Tenna was going to own him because of, of Tenta's like amateur wrestling background. Mm-hmm. So he he didn't want to cooperate, but he was all, he also didn't want to commit to actually fighting him because he didn't think he could win.
1: That is just such a you know what the other option is have a worked wrestling match and you go on with life, right? <laughs> that doesn't seem like it would be so hard, but then again, with some of the personalities that have been in the business, I guess it is. So, all right. Well, is um, there anything else we wanted to hit?
0: No, I just wanted to mention the Anoki thing because it's going to be odd timing and we needed to mention it because yeah. you can't not talk about Anoki,
1: Because it's Anoki, yeah. So, Matt, was there anything else you wanted to hit this go-around? Or?
2: No, I actually really enjoyed uh it was brief, like watching uh, some of the Doink matches. Because yeah. Doink, Doink has been, Doink Batborn has been like a call that guilty pleasure of mine <laughs> for like years <laughs> and years. Because I think he was a phenomenal worker and I think...
0: He got saddled that, with that awful big Josh gimmick.
2: Yeah, it was not good. But like I, I remember like when I first got into wrestling like 30 years ago when I was like a kid. Like I remember I started, I watched, I uh, really an old WCW Saturday Night, which is probably from like the latter half of '92. And there was like literally like a 20 minute match, 30 minute, I think it was 20 minutes, a match between him, Big Josh, and Arn Anderson.
0: Was it a two was... out of three falls when they were doing that gimmick?
2: yes and it was like it it was effing like amazing match it was such a good match and i was like my little mind was like blown i'm like wow this is like, a great match that i didn't know that big josh was capable of you know, little <laughs> did i know like big josh matt Bourne, had been around for like he, he was at least like a 10-year veteran probably at that he's point.
0: on the first mania because he jobbed uh he jobbed a steamboat
2: I think he dropped a steamboat because wasn't he like the executioner or something like that? No, that
0: was that was Tito Santana. That was Buddy Rose under a mask.
2: Oh, I see. Um, uh. yeah, he was, he was in the first uh, Mania. Um, and I think he was just a great wrestler. Like he hit the wrong time. Like I think he had like a decent run. Um, when he when he was doing because he he got replaced because of his issues, uh, and he had basically. If you read up, he had, like, a sad life overall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of sad. Like, he, his substance abuse, obviously, like, cost him. Uh, and I think he, the reason he got fired from the WWE uh, is allegedly he blamed, like, Bam, Bam Bigelow.
0: Yeah, want yeah. a job to him or something.
2: Well, he said that apparently Bigelow, like, saw him, like, smoke, like smoking drugs, like pot. Like he, I'm sure he was doing, like, harder things than that. But... Uh, he he said Bigelow saw him and then ratted him out, which I don't know if it's true or they just had beef. He's blaming Bigelow. and I'm sure Bigelow did his own had his own issues with drugs. I mean he died in part because of substance abuse issues himself. so I don't know, but he bounced around after that and then didn't really work out in other places and I actually read like a, a very sad story like right before he died like he died. He died much later than I thought he died.
0: Yeah, cuz he made it. He only died like 9 years ago, I think.
2: He died in 2013, which is like not it's not even that long ago. And I thought if you had asked me if you before this like if I'd read that like if you asked me like, "Well, when, in, when in Matt Warren did Matt
0: born?" 2004.
2: Yeah, I would have been like early 2000s, like no. He died in 2013. It's just like he like kind of had stopped being relevant. Um, and he died at like age 55, which uh it's actually still relatively young, obviously. Like he now he'd be like in his 60s, which would be older, but not that old in the sense of like, you know, people in this country live to be like live to be older than that. But mm-hmm. he died in 2013, and the sad story, like I read, was that I mean, he died in part because of a drug overdose, but they also think that he had uh, heart disease and enlarged heart, which played a role in it. You know, could have been from his years of abuse, alcohol abuse, substance abuse.
0: I mean, he is and, in that era. he's probably doing a little Yeah. A little steroids too.
2: Mm, he never looked at a steroid body, but I'm sure he did like a bunch I mean, of cocaine. Probably did a bunch of coke.
0: Yeah, I mean um, but, I mean I know was that Waltman that said he tried steroids and it didn't do a damn thing for him?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's some people's bodies that just it that is not I, a career. I love when
0: people act like Rey Mysterio Jr. is not roided. I'm like, did you see him when he was like 25? Like he's
2: oh de- yeah, he 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 was little and he he bulked up a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And now um, he trimmed back down again.
2: Yeah. Well, some people it's like it is genetics because it's like you, like I my body type. It's like if I went on ster- steroids, it's like it, I could probably get bigger, but I'm I'm like. I'm a medium. It's like, maybe i become a large. <laughs> like right, 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 right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have me be like John Cena, like 250 pounds, like walking around, like jacked. Like it wouldn't happen. But uh, the sad story is that he was, I guess, uh, he was living with Stuart Kemp, wrestling as Bulldog Bob Brown Jr. in the Pacific hmm. Northwest. Uh, and he was living with him, and that was partly because, like, uh, you know, they were trying to make sure he was sober. And he was allegedly doing well. Yeah. And obviously, died of such, like, kind of like an overdose. So he didn't get some lapses, but he he was living with him. He was largely doing well. He was like had a, like a real job. Was apparently very well liked by his coworkers. Was doing well at the job. And then he passed away like from an overdose, contributed like with the heart disease, but. Two years before he died, like, uh, Kemp said that he uh he read an article to joint to Matt Warren, yeah, uh, about just an article that that gets these get published periodically, and it certainly got published like back a few years ago because it was this was rampantly happening, especially like in the early two thousands, the aughts. Um, but it was an article that of Restless who died, um, and kept said that, that Matt Oren read that and he's like can I have a, like a highlighter or like, can I have a pen and so he went through the list and he put a check mark by like a bunch of names Yeah. and then he was like really sad and checked at the end he's like like look at this like I look at all the check marks I like I worked with two thirds of this guy like mm-hmm. I can't believe they're all dead like I should have been dead before these guys and it's like well he didn't live like that much longer like a couple years and he was, he was gone yeah uh, and it's sad. It's like he—he's clearly a guy like he, what could have been. Like if—if if his heyday, assuming he didn't have like the substance abuse issues, um, if this guy like in this current era, like even if you kept the the gimmick, like the the evil clown gimmick, but you kept like the work rate and everything like that, minus the substance abuse issues, like I feel like he could really like be blowing it up. Like you have guys, you have look. He's obviously has like a ton of charisma, but it's like you have a guy who is not as good in the ring as porn was, and Danhausen. Yeah. And Danhausen is like wildly successful it's to the point where Danhausen's wife is like posting pictures. It's like, hey, we just bought a house. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you've done quite well for yourself for the last like year or two. Yeah,
1: it, it, you're absolutely right, and there there would absolutely be a place for him. It mm. just, it's a shame. All right. Well, I think that'll about wrap us for this episode. We want to say thank you, everybody, out there for joining us. Um, like I said, these matches are on YouTube if you go looking for Mr. Perfect and Doink or Doink versus Savage. And so, with all that being said, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners, you're in the fourth, and we'll catch you next time.